Deep in the night, your heart fills with dread Probably a murderer who wants you dead It could be a ghost, a demon or worse Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse It's hopeless, you're doomed, you'd call a priest if you could You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood I'm gonna kill you Well hello and welcome to Freaky Friday on this Friday, April 21st, 2023 The Friday of dreams, I feel like I'm going to say. This is a dream week because we have wonderful guests this week, and you have also curated a fascinating lineup of odd but true oh. stories. Well, thank you. You the, have. These were, I was, I was fascinated by these stories, truly. Every one of these stories, and I feel like we hit several areas of the Freaky Friday. We have um, unexplained interactions. We have a possible haunting. We have brushes with true crime. Truly, again, our story sommelier has come through for us. And And we will hear at the end from some very special guests. We got to speak with the lovely ladies over at Killer Queens for this week's episode who are going to share their own Freaky Friday story with us. I have a wonderful tale, well told, that is, and I say wonderful, not because of the content. It's a harrowing both of our jaws were on the floor at separate times. Yeah. And I think we talked about it afterwards. We were so impacted, but I think it, the vulnerability and the power of storytelling, we harp on it all the time. And one more beautiful story from a beautiful storyteller of triumph of coming out on the other side of it. And despite the harrowing nature of what you had to go through in the yes. interim. So that's why I think that's why we like these and we appreciate everybody just going along for us on a ride when we're like, hey, we have a new bit we're going to do. A new segment is we're going to have guest stories. But we have the opportunity of having guests on to tell that firsthand story and for us to ask questions and things like that. We uh, we love how much you all have loved it. And we appreciate you all going on this journey with us. Very much. And go check out Killer Queen's podcast wherever you get your podcast to listen to them. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get freaky. This first one is from Jasmine, and it is called Tales from the Court Clerk. Hi, y'all. I love your podcast so much and listen to it every time I have a spare minute while finishing school. In another life, I was a court clerk in Canada and had countless interactions with many offenders, ranging from radical environmental activists all the way to, you guessed it, serial killers. This experience was almost surreal. I always loved to listen to true crime podcasts. But after my job, I was ethically unable to continue supporting a lot of the true crime media after hearing some testimony from families of victims. I appreciate the approach you both take and how respectful you are. Back to my job. I have spoken to more serial killers and murderers than the average Joe because everyone must go through the court system. And in Canada, there aren't nearly as many courts to go through. So you're likely going to speak to someone you've seen on the news. As a court clerk, you see a lot of stuff, from evidence photos of crime scenes to exhibiting real murder weapons, and I have seen my fair share of photos that will haunt me forever. You also see some stuff that's quite funny, but you can't laugh, submitted as evidence like unhinged Facebook rants, Snapchat videos, and steamy text messages. I wanted to share some interesting anecdotes I noticed during my career. The serial killers I spoke to were perfectly normal to speak to. 
maybe because they're exactly where they need to be in jail. They were always calm and polite, and it was like talking to someone about the weather all the time, meaning there was no tone and they were pretty matter of fact. In court, you could tell there was no empathy, but there usually wasn't any other emotion either, not even anger. All the ones I've spoken to, there's been a few, have always been respectful to me, likely because they saw me as a resource to help them in their appeals. Many of the, quote, lower-level criminals had outbursts and hated jail because likely they had some unresolved trauma or psychological issues that went undiagnosed. These people were angry and sad and were the most disrespectful because they were just so frustrated. Drug dealers tried to be very charming and would often try to flirt with you to score some points so you could help them out more. Pedophiles were usually overly nice and almost too sweet. I'm not sure if it's because they know what they did was wrong and were trying to get out, or if they were afraid that I would treat them differently. And lastly, in all my time at the court, no one was as frightening as a person with an undiagnosed personality disorder losing a case, particularly ones involving family law. I highly recommend this job if you like true crime, or honestly, just like knowing other people's business, because you definitely get to know that in this job. One thing I think people forget, including the lawyers, is that the clerk knows everything about the case, almost as much as the judge does, because we have to type it up, catalog it, and even look it over. I wanted to also share something unique to Canada that isn't always the same in the U.S. When there are crimes of sexual assault or anything of a particularly brutal nature, there is an automatic publication ban on the case, and no one not even journalists, can report anything identifiable about the case in the media. And you certainly can't look anything up. This is probably why Canadian cases don't make the mainstream media until way later once the ban is lifted. And oftentimes what is reported in the news is not even close to the whole story. This also makes dating and knowing who your neighbors and friends are really hard, as people with convictions can be around you all the time, but you would never know because it's under publication bans. This is, of course, to protect victims at the forefront, but there is a lot of debate on if it helps people rehabilitate without judgment or just protects criminals from scrutiny. There is also not a public sex offender registry, just one for the police. Let me know if you would like to hear anything else about my time at the courts or how the justice system works in Canada. Thanks for all that you do, Jasmine. Well, thanks for all that you do, Jasmine. I think you're right. Court clerks are such a valuable resource, and I think baby lawyers definitely forget. And I think, you know, when you get too busy, you forget as a lawyer. She's absolutely right. They're the ones that are going to know. Then if, you you know, you know, just always be kind to everybody throughout the judicial system. But somebody like the clerk, they've got your number. They've got everybody's number in that case. Because they see both sides. Mm -hmm. They're not just seeing the prosecution or the defense. They're seeing all of it and then probably stuff that, doesn't even, you know, like phone numbers, addresses, stuff that nobody may see but them. And like she said, um, I'm sure you see and hear a lot of things that you can't unsee. And that is a tough job. And I commend you for for being able to do it. Definitely, I commend you. And especially because we want, no matter what country you're in, you want to have as fair a trial as possible and have everybody there making sure that the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted. And that's the help of a clerk is to make sure, hey, this filing deadline was missing or, you know, this the parties were supposed to, whatever, that the judge has a lot of cases. Sure, 
I feel like it's much like with anybody who's really running the show. The judge has a robe. Yes, fantastic. And the gavel. Clerks are running the show. People behind the scenes, for yeah. sure, that aren't, yeah. aren't getting nearly the credit that the judges, but they're doing a ton of work. And I find it so fascinating, just the breakdown of kind of the different offenders you may see in this case and, and how they are, because every trial I've seen or interview with serial killers, Jasmine is exactly right. There's not really a lot of emotion. It's very matter of fact. It's not nice or mean. It's just kind of like like BTK or Dahmer. When you watch them talk about their crimes, it's as if they're just telling you about what they got at the grocery store. Very matter of fact, very banal. Like, it's just nothing. Yeah. And meanwhile, everybody else's jaw is on the floor or is horrified at even just the thought of what they did. But yeah, the fact that they can just talk to her about nothing and the weather and just think knowing that she knows all the shit they did because she's yeah. the clerk, right? Like she's privy to all that. And to still speak that way of kind of like, oh yeah, things are great. It's going to rain yeah. on Tuesday. What are you yeah. up to? And to Eerie. be able to look them in the eyes as the court clerk and think, well, I'm just, I, I have to, you know, I'm not going to be mean. I'm mm -hmm. just going to be, you know, cordial. But then you've seen the pictures of what they've done. You know what they're capable of. And the same yeah. with like sex offenders trying Ugh. to be friendly and, uh, mm -mm. you know, congenial and stuff like, no, nah, man, we're not friends and we're not going to be friends. No, And never. I am going to treat you differently because yeah. you're a sex predator. <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah. How about that? Uh, I yeah. don't have sympathy for you. But yeah, that's definitely uh, a gig where you're going to hopefully you have a good way to just unwind, decompress, detach at the end of the day, because it's a heavy, uh, a heavy burden when you're seeing people's worst days of their lives and being a part of something, the machination that's supposed to make them feel better, right? That's a great responsibility, the role that you play. And so make sure you take care of you, Jasmine, because you don't want to get burnt out. It's hard. It's hard to be seeing people, you know, like that every single day. Yes. And as far as would we love to hear anything else about your time there? Absolutely. This was fascinating so we'd like to hear anything else that you would like to share yeah anything what do you think about not about having a publication ban on crime yeah that's really interesting i didn't know that until this so um it's always fascinating when we cover cases that are not in the u.s and how laws just vary so drastically from country to country when we talked about on true crime headlines i think it's germany they won't publish the last name of mm -hmm. the victim or the perpetrator, which is also, yeah, like you said, it's fascinating. There's pros and cons of both, but that's mm -hmm. interesting to think that there's a sex offender registry that is not easily accessible. But on the flip side, people getting accidentally listed on a sex offender registry can be catastrophic. So true. Who's to say which is better, right? It's, it's all by virtue of where you live. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jasmine. Sinisterhood will be right back. This next one is from Cranky Pantaloons, and the subject line is Haunted Playhouse. Hey, ladies, I love you and the show so much. I'm excited to share my stories with you. To give a little background, my husband and I live in one of the oldest towns in the country, Newport, Rhode Island, founded in 1639. So there's no shortage of creepy history. Pirates and pilgrims, rum runners and smugglers, plenty of graveyards and cemeteries peppered throughout the town. Classic New England vibes. 
When we were in our 20s, we lived in an adorably cozy cottage at the edge of town. We were told it used to be on the grounds of one of the opulent mansions in town, possibly belonging to the Vanderbilts, and was actually a playhouse for the children of the home at the time. It was later sold and relocated to its current spot. It was perfect for us and our two cats, General and Ladybird. Our old guy, General, R.I.P., was about 15 or 16 at the time. He made it to the ripe old age of 21, and he had a habit of helping himself to the cold cuts in the bottom drawer of the fridge. It's worth mentioning that our fridge was your typical late 90s boxy-type fridge found in nearly every rental property across the 50 nifty United States. A good seal on the door to the point where it's impossible to sneak a midnight handful of cheese without everyone knowing. Late one summer night, my hubs and I were watching TV when we heard the fridge open with that distinct pop and crack we all know so well. We both instinctively shouted, General, get out of the fridge! Then immediately went white when we realized both cats were on the couch with us. We looked into the kitchen where we watched the door to the fridge swing open and pause, filling the dark kitchen with that soft fridge light. Hubby braved the dark room to investigate, but found nothing. Eventually, we went to bed, but didn't get much sleep. A few weeks later, around two in the morning, we were woken up from a dead sleep to an enormous crash in the kitchen. When we went to check it out, we found my Pyrex casserole dish smashed in about a million pieces, smack dab in the center of the kitchen floor. If you know anything about Pyrex, you know one, it's pretty hard to break, and two, it's heavy. The shelf I had stored it on was still solidly secured to the wall, and nothing else was out of place, including the baking tray it had been sitting on. I'll add that the baking tray wasn't one of those with only two edges. It had a lip all the way around it. So in order for this dish to fall, scientifically, the tray should have fallen too. It's as if someone picked it up and slammed it down. Needless to say, we didn't really sleep soundly in that house the rest of our time there. We had many other weird moments, but those two stuck with us after all these years. General and Ladybird have both passed and we have since moved into a bigger place and added to our family. We've also added to our experiences, even in a different home but I'll save those for the next Freaky Friday. Love you guys and all that you do. Keep it creepy. Oh, not the Pyrex. <laughs> oh. Dude, Pyrex are, it's made for withstanding like, you know, 400 degree temperatures. It doesn't just crack or break easily. Somebody wanted that Pyrex smashed. And I don't think it was General or Ladybird because yeah. otherwise the baking tray underneath would have been knocked over too. Yeah, I would never uh, wrongfully accuse General and Ladybird. I would say, as the owner of many fine Pyrex things, I've registered for a lot of them on my honeymoon, or my honeymoon, on my wedding registry. I was like, I, I only want, I'm trying to get rid of all my old, you know, the stuff I had from college. It was like melted and shitty or whatever. And I'm like replacing it with Pyrex. And if I walked in my kitchen and my Pyrex was smashed, you better already be dead. You better be a motherfucking ghost because you're about to be a ghost right now because you yeah. just smashed my fucking Pyrex. But I am so I like it because I'm clumsy. I drop things all the time and I have dropped them and I have not broken them. So this you're right. This would have to be like a high up, like hold it above your head and whip it down. Whip it hard. Whip it, whip good. it good. Not good. 
whipping my Pyrex. I guess the only mm-hmm. worst thing would be if you told me there was a bunch of shit in it. You know, if it was like, <laughs> there was a lasagna in it and it was smashed all over the oh, kitchen. Oh, I thought you meant oh, like feces. Diarrhea. And I'm like, no, I just well, meant that like, been that would have been horrible. Especially weird. <laughs> no, I was thinking, you know, I meant like a lasagna, in which case it probably was the cats and they just don't Gosh. like Mondays. Oh, Garfield, yeah. Man, <laughs> I'm so hungry right now and lasagna just Oof. did something for me. Yes. Well, it's extremely creepy. I know exactly that that little suction thing from the fridge Mm -hmm. coming up. You got to give it a yank. They don't just like accidentally go open on their own. And you just look and you see it swing open Mm -mm, and pause that your hubby is a saint. Because I would have said, all right, grab the cats. Uh, We're leaving everything in the house and we live somewhere else now. You got to Dana Barrett it and just be like, I'm leaving the house. Grab the kids. <laughs> the eggs have started cooking themselves on the counter. You can't stay anymore. No, you no. got to leave. You're right, though. Those things don't just go like unless they are broken. And then they own like I had one of these boxy refrigerators. But once the seal was gone, it was done. So we had to get rid of the fridge. We tried to replace the seal. It was a whole thing. So it wouldn't just one time be fucked up and open. Mm-hmm. It just didn't work anymore. And so like yeah. for me, the fact that you still continue to use the fridge after this, this wasn't a one off. Oopsie, the gasket's broken. Mm-mm. God damn. Well, the Vanderbilt's child, is, you're like, go in my playhouse. Get out of my playhouse. Man, that's a next level type of rich. When a whole ass home is your kid's playhouse. <laughs> yeah, God you damn. Can, you can live in the children's quarters. <laughs> you're like, oh, it's where they lived. No, no, they're play quarters. This is the play quarters. Oh, yeah. man. Uh, well, glad that you made it out of that in one piece, unlike your Pyrex cranky pantaloons. R.I.P. Pyrex and R.I.P. General. Sinisterhood will be right back. Well, this next one is from Jennifer. And the subject line is possessed by an entity. Good morning. I've been meaning to send this story into you for a while, but life gets in the way and I never sat down to write it out. But after listening to this week's episode about possession and exorcism, I knew I had to. Fifteen plus years ago, I worked as an emergency room social worker, a job that I loved as you never knew what each shift would entail. But this one shift was unlike any other. One of my job responsibilities was to complete mental health evaluations on people who came in, whether it be with depression, suicidal ideation, schizophrenia breaks, etc. I would complete the assessment, help them get admitted to a hospital, or send them home without patient resources. This night, I walked into a room to meet a new patient and met the patient, her family, and a priest from the local seminary. They told me the woman was possessed by an entity, that they had gone to the seminary seeking an exorcism, and that the seminary required a full medical and psychiatric workup before proceeding. The patient was fully aware of what was going on. Half of the assessment, she would be her normal self, speaking in her normal voice and expressing her thoughts and concerns. But then the entity would take over. Her facial expressions would change. Her voice would become deep, gravelly, and demon-like and would say terrible, scary things. Once, the entity told me I was a beautiful young woman, which freaked me out. There's nothing like a demon entity telling you it thinks you're attractive. At times, when the woman was herself and speaking normally, I could tell by her expression that she was listening to something none of us could hear. Then she would say something like, he told me you would say that. He says you're lying. It was bizarre, but 
but also so, so interesting to watch. I left the room, spoke to our psychiatrist, and made the arrangements for her to be admitted for the complete psychiatric eval. I went back into the room where the woman was calm and signed her own paperwork for a voluntary psychiatric admission. I walked out to the nurse's station and told the nurse that he could call the report up, that the doctor had admitted her, and that she had signed her own paperwork. Literally, the second I said she had signed her own paperwork for a voluntary admission, every computer monitor and screen in the ER went black. The nurse and I looked at each other with terrified expressions on our face, each of us knowing that this was the work of an entity, angry with what was going on. The screens came back on a few minutes later, and we got her upstairs as quickly as we could. I had never had an experience like that before, and never again. It's been well over a decade, and I can remember it all so clearly. Unfortunately, I don't have an update on the woman. I'm not sure what happened, if she ended up being cleared medically and psychiatrically and had the exorcism or not, but it was definitely an interesting night. Thanks for keeping it creepy. Your podcast helped our family of five survive a 13-hour road trip. You ladies are the only thing we agreed on to listen to. Well, that's a long road trip, and we sincerely appreciate it. A family of five listening to us? That's a that's yeah. a big age demographic. I'm proud of that. Unless, like unless it. it's like a family of five. They were all 30-year-old women. <laughs> we're a family. Then that makes more sense. But. <laughs> that's great, man. Yeah, we run the gamut, everybody. 13 hours is our lucky hours, too. That's probably Oh, dang. That's true. Well, what a spooky... Yet morbidly fascinating type of situation to to witness something that previously you would probably only see in the movies. You know, I mean, it's good. You know, she's in safe care. There's doctors there if anything were to go wrong. But to see this going in and out of what appears to be a possession is haunting. Definitely. Right. And you, especially then you walk out and all the computer screens go off as soon as you're like, she's in, she's going to be evaluated. But it is, I'm really, really glad that, um, that Jennifer wrote this in because this demonstrates that issue when you are the provider that this person speaking to you, what we would consider lucid, rational, mm-hmm. and like, oh, yeah, I would like to be admitted. I want to be, you know, and so your gut instincts like, oh, everything's cool. And then in the middle of it, it's like, I think you're beautiful. Yeah. And like doing like a weird voice, it's terrifying. And I'm glad that whatever parish they went to, you know, that the priest, clergy, whatever involved was like, okay, let's go up to the hospital. You're mm-hmm. getting checked out to, I guess, make sure people aren't just faking it and like being, you know, or in case they truly, truly believe it, but they believe it because they do have a delusion, they're at least in the hands of the people that can actually mm-hmm. help them. You, that shows, you know, that the priest cares about the person. Very similar to Father Amort that we right. recently talked about. And we've gotten some some DMs. People have now seen Russell Crowe's Father Amort. Oh, my. Not as, not as bad as we thought it might be. We got to watch getting it. getting okay reviews. We have to watch it this week. We're gonna sometime. have to watch it. Yeah, we'll watch we'll, it. We'll find a. We're gonna find a a movie theater in Denver or Salt Lake City and go watch our <laughs> Demon Hunter movie. It'll be great. Tommy has always wanted. To, he said he wanted to go on to the movies one time. I when know, we were traveling. and I never. Oh. I'm always like, why we could do that back home? Now but, we know. You know, maybe we can do it on vacation too. The power of Christ compels you. <laughs> 
Russell Crowe. It'll be great. Well, we appreciate you, Jennifer, and we appreciate you for all, all the, the good work that you do and the kind care you provide people. That's not an easy gig, but thank mm-hmm. you for doing it. Sinisterhood, we'll be right back. Well, this next one is from Lauren, and the subject line is More Tales of the Mall. Hi, ladies. I have two stories. One is quick. Turns out my first apartment after I graduated from college was only a couple doors down from the Boston Marathon bombers, the Sarnevs. I do not remember them, but they were living there at that point. I did watch my, at that point, former apartment getting evacuated on TV the morning of the lockdown, and it was really crazy. Here's the longer story. I've written into other podcasts in the past, and I'm not caught up on them, so maybe it's been read before, but I'm fairly certain it hasn't. I've always thought this was an interesting story. I wanted to share since there's been some scary mall stories lately, and I felt like writing in. So this is all from memory, and this story took place almost 25 years ago. I was 16, and it was a Sunday afternoon. My best friend had her license, but our parents still preferred to drop us off and pick us up places, which at the time was like, mom, ugh. but now I'm a parent and I get it. So her mom dropped us off at the mall and we were to call my dad when we wanted to get picked up. After a couple hours of shopping, we were ready to head home. This was before most people had cell phones, the 90s. So we went to a payphone. The payphone was located down a hallway across from a bank. There were no stores down that hallway and the bank was closed for the day. So it was strange that a man was standing right outside the door to the bank, but we went to the phones and dropped our bags anyway. As I dialed, I heard sort of a whooshing sound. It was him running up to us. He stopped a short distance away, but began to inch closer to us slowly. We both ignored him, but as he got uncomfortably close, my friend grabbed our shopping bags and walked away a bit in case he was interested in our bags. He stayed on me until he was so close, I was backed against the wall. He was holding a water bottle, and I'll never forget watching and hearing that water sloshing around. I told my dad where to find us, hung up fast, and walked quickly toward my friend. We both tried to walk casually, hoping he would leave us alone if we acted cool. But of course, he followed. Silently, we both walked faster. He did too. He got close enough to reach out and almost touch us, which is when my BFF whispered, run, and we did. And he did too. The mall was quiet that day, so we ran into the first store we came across. He was so close behind us, we could hear him panting and that water just splashing back and forth. We ran into the store. I can't remember what store it was. I remember exactly where it was, but it's been multiple different stores over the years. There were two employees standing right there. They didn't know what was happening, but they acted fast. We were both terrified, screaming for them to help us. So one guy put us behind him while the other stopped the man who was chasing us and asked what it was he was doing. He began to fight to get to us. Other employees, hearing the fighting and yelling, came out. The registers were located in the middle of the store, so they helped us into the register area while they formed a human chain around them to protect us. He was still fighting, telling him to let him at us. Mall security was called, and very quickly they called the police. We were taken into the stock room and could still hear him trying to get to us while mall security restrained him. The manager came back and told us he was telling them he knew our mother and that we were supposed to be going with him. 
This was obviously completely false. Once he was arrested and the police spoke with us, they escorted us to Sears where we were supposed to be meeting my dad. Now, this was way past the time he was going to be picking us up, and he wasn't there anymore. Some officers set out to find him, and we were entrusted into the care of a Sears employee. My dad was driving around the mall and eventually came back around to Sears, where the employee told him we were very upset. And my dad was like, what the fuck? And let me say, my dad is the most laid-back person of all time, so for him to get irritated meant that we were late. Meanwhile, the police were back to escort us outside. They warned us that our stalker was right outside still and that we would probably see him, but that he was handcuffed and under the control of the police. And this, to me, was the scariest part. We were surrounded by police. He was literally surrounded and being held by police and handcuffed. And this motherfucker caught one glance of us and broke away from the police to come at us again handcuffed. They had to tackle him. If memory serves, I believe he'd either been discharged or escaped from a mental health facility at a local hospital, jumped on a bus, got to the mall, and found us. They did have security footage from the bank, which showed him running at us. He also had worked at the grocery store near our house at one point, which is unrelated to absolutely everything except my mom, who loves a good story, latched onto that. When she talked to her friends about this on the phone, she would lower her voice and say, you know, he worked at the stop and shop. The next weekend, our mothers took us back to the mall to give goodie bags filled with candy to those employees who had helped us, which is a nice gesture, but feels kind of embarrassing now that I think about it. I didn't go to the mall for a long time after that. I wish there was more I could share, stories, videos, but it was the 90s, so unfortunately, internet evidence is pretty limited. So that's my story. Thanks for reading, whether it gets on the air or not. Lauren. Man. This. <laughs> Do you know how many times I was dropped off with a friend at the mall? Mm-hmm. It, it During the night. I mean, that's what you did. I was loose. Now that no. I think about it. I, I mean, it's wild how young I was. I mean, I was mm-hmm. sixth grade. Yeah. Yeah. Middle school for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sixth, seventh grade. You get just dropped off and be like, okay, we'll just, here's, you know, don't leave. Call us 10 bucks. Go do whatever you're going to do. We'll see you in a few hours. Call (laughs) me on the pay phone when you're ready to come home. Yeah. Yeah. You don't even have a cell phone. So if you need to get a hold of them immediately, it was a different time. Um, Oh, yeah. I I wouldn't let Ella go around a mall uh, by herself at that age now with or without a cell phone. Right. Something that I think is different in this story than might be now is how these employees reacted to help them. I feel like we're so much more jaded now that if two girls came screaming into a Forever 21, I think everyone would just be like, what is, what's going on? What? But like (laughs) they formed a human chain to protect them from this guy who was trying to fight them. I know. I think, well, maybe it's my fault for being optimistic and imagining every retail worker ever as a listener and that would write into Freaky Friday and like the stories we've had of like this little kid needed help or I thought this person was being trafficked. So I stepped up. So maybe I'm being too positive that I'm like, oh, people would help them. But now that you say it, people might just start filming, which is horrible. And I hope <laughs> well, not. Hopefully a bit of both. So you could right? have documentation. Happy. But if he is trying to fight an employee and then, you know, I mean, for all the employees to like not shy away, but try and come to 
to help is very admirable. Right. Versus, or, or just saying, oh, well, we're not security, so we can't help. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess just wait out here. Um, And I, well, I'm, at least North Park Mall in Dallas, there's a couple of stores where it's like an armed guard out front now. Uh-huh. I mean, I think we've, we've locked down malls a lot more than we did back in the 90s. It was true. Open, open yeah. doors. I remember was- there would just be, sometimes they'd have the gates halfway up and down and I'd see kids, you know, sneaking in places mm-hmm. and, oh man. Yeah, there, it, was, it was loose. Um, when reading this, I was shocked at how it continued to escalate. And it wasn't yes. the end of it when, one, they ran into the store. Most people would be deterred. Okay, I'm going yeah. going to go away. But then you're handcuffed with police and you still are just obsessed with these two young girls. If he had either been discharged or escaped from a mental health facility. Sounds like he was probably suffering from some sort of, you know, mental health issue. So who knows what was going on, his perception of it. But these girls are were just doing nothing. And all of a sudden, uh, a man is trying to attack them. Harrowing. Oh, yeah. And especially if you think, okay, well, I'm at the payphone. He probably just wants to rob me. So, yeah. I'll just move the bags over here. And if he goes after the bags, you know, we'll throw the bags. He can just have our stuff and we'll run off. But when you start to run and then they start to run, no, that's when you're like, we got to find safety. And you're right. Each thing you're like, well, I'm in a human chain. So surely the person will give up now. No, I have to be hidden in a stock room. Mm -hmm. Surely now they'll give up. Nope. Law enforcement has arrived. Surely now they'll give up. No, that is, that's definitely terrifying. And, um, but I will say I definitely can just picture your mother saying, you know, he worked at the stop and shop that has because <laughs> it has nothing to do with the story, which is like such a good like 90s story where it has. But it's something local that you could tie mm-hmm. it back to me that she's on the phone going. And, you know, Lauren and her friend got chased at the mall and he worked at the stop and shop. Yeah. Just FYI. <laughs> and you're like, it doesn't have to do with anything. He wasn't coming from the stop and shop. But I get you. I get it, Lauren. When it you gives that mom some personal gossip, some flavor to add into the story. Oh, yeah. That's a mom who loves a good story. You're right. Mm-hmm. You are right. But well, this whole story is, uh, this could have been terrifying. Torn. It's terrifying, but it could, the scenario that led to it, as far as just like being in a mall, making pay phone calls, could have been any of us when we were oh, kids. Oh, yeah. Any yeah. of us. And it could have ended much differently, thanks to the help of uh, a lot of strangers, but also y'all being quick on your feet and thinking and being like run like you know not mm-hmm. not fucking around so listen to good your good. on everybody involved that you came out of that safe but yeah like you said several decades later you still think about it that's not something you forget i imagine oh no, i'm sure too if you hear a water bottle slosh the right way mm-hmm. it'll remind mm-hmm. you you know that yeah. you don't think about that until or you know a cup of water or something sloshed the wrong mm-hmm. way but this was uh thank you lauren thank you for that story this was, uh, like we said, that could have been a playbook out of either of our childhoods in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And speaking of childhoods in the 90s, nobody is a better 90s expert than Killer Queens. Yes, especially Tori, who, according to her sister Tyrella, is a wealth of information when it comes to movie quotes. Who was in this 90s movie? Who sang this song? Which also Heather can do with all eras. It's not even limited to the 90s. It's, uh, <laughs> it's all time. 
She's a quote and reference machine, which I very much related to. Also, like you said, there are sisters in case y'all didn't know. If you haven't heard of Killer Queens with coverage in things like Cosmopolitan Magazine, Marie Claire, Killer Queens, they've been making waves in the podcast space recently and for the past couple of years. They're known as the true crime podcast for millennials, which was perfect for us because we love those same references. Uh, and we're going to chat with them. Like I said, Terrell is going to share a, a very harrowing story but one of the beautiful things about them is their relationship as sisters. Mm-hmm. And even though you and I are not sisters, I feel like we had a lot of relation to them in Tori being very enamored with her older sister and loving her and having her a, a lot of respect for her. And them having like the, each, you know, saying, you're good at this. You're good at this. Mm-hmm. Ribbing each other. It's just, uh, I love it. It gives that, that throwback sisters 90s vibe. Yes. it's they're, They were a pleasure to talk to. We commend Cyrilla for such a incredible story and um once you hear it you'll you'll see what exactly we mean but uh please enjoy our conversation with killer queens sinisterhood we'll be right back well hello and welcome we have got another set of freaky friday guest stories for you this week we are joined with the host of killer queens hello y'all We're so excited to be here. Yes. Introduce yourselves. I am Torella. And I am Tori. Yeah, we're killer queens. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, for those that haven't maybe listened to your podcast, tell us a little bit about it. You obviously are sisters, so we know how you met. Yeah. But how did you um, start the show and and what is it about? Um, well, in true sister fashion, I'm the older sister, so I basically made Tori do this with me. So, cause I knew yes. that I wanted to do a podcast. I got really into podcast and then I was like, that would be so easy. Like we talk about cases all the time. We could just do it. And, um, but I was like, but I can't do it by myself. So you have to come on with me. And so, <laughs> and like the yeah. good little sister you are, you said, all right. And just followed her <laughs> blindly into it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. She, Made it sound like it was a question, but I knew it was not a question. She was like, do you right. want to do this? And it's like, you're you're doing this. So. <laughs> yes. I'm a baby sister. And yeah, I think that's being voluntold to do something uh-huh. where you're like, exactly. do you want to do this with me? And you will. So yeah. I'm just yeah. asking, do you want to do it? And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, I guess I do. <laughs> I'm just Might trying well. to be nice. Make it sound like a question. <laughs> but it ended up going very well because you guys have a lot of fun on the air together. I love it. You're the true crime podcast for millennials. What does that mean to you? Pretty much. We, um, we've got a lot of 90s vibes. Tori is a vault for 90s and early 2000s music lyrics, um, nice. movie quotes, TV, like all the stuff. But um, so we kind of bring that in and we like to bring I like back how you say we, we like you bring game. anything to the table here. <laughs> Dang. <Yeah. laughs> what a Tori, what's your favorite 90s movie? Oh, okay. Um, oh, gosh. Can I give a top five? Of yes. course. Of course. Please. <laughs> okay. Clueless. Yeah, Spice I was going to say Clueless. Oh, Ooh, so nice good. one. Jurassic Park. Ooh, Excellent. good one. Romy Michelle's High School Reunion. And Underrated. Drop Dead Gorgeous. Yeah. Good one. Those good are lineup. all very good. I thought you were going to say Drop Dead Fred. Also, good. also a great uh, movie. Drop Dead Gorgeous that- is good, too. Drop Dead Fred was that eighties? I might think be it was eighties. Yeah. I'm I'm older than you guys, so I remember that being like, yeah, that, I think that was more of an eighties, late eighties children's like a childhood movie for me though. Yeah, it was very good, dark for being oh, a childhood fucked up. movie. I should have been watching that. that was uh, terrible. I mean, same, but yeah, <laughs> I'm like, oh, we have to heal our inner child by making out with the 
haunted imaginary trying to bone us. Mm. Yeah. Weird. But Phoebe yeah. Cates. She was great. <laughs> yeah, right. She was great. Yes. Still to this day. She's she great. is, man. Time Fire. has been good to her. Fire. And Time married to Kevin Klein, who was also in some very good 90s movies. That's true. It's called Wanda, yeah. In and Out. I love yes. uh, 90 vibes. Yeah, love 90s vibes. Love. Very Wild much. Wild West. Oh, no, yeah. Nobody. Come okay. on. Oh. What, with <laughs> Will Smith and uh, who was his Turn partner? on uh, Will Smith and Kevin Klein. Oh, was it Kevin Turn, Klein? And then Kenneth Branagh plays the bad guy. Turn on Wild Wild West right now. I could probably rap you all those lyrics. Wow. Wiki, wow. <laughs> wiki, wiki. Oh, yeah, I could. Yeah. I had those. It was when my husband and I first met. I go... Uh, for some reason, we got talking about Wild West, Wild Wild West, and I said, "Did you ever get those?" And before I could finish it, he goes, "The collector's edition sunglasses from Burger King Kids Meals <laughs> that were the same sunglasses they had from the movie." And I was like, "Yes," and he was like, "Yes." And then, <laughs> oh, we had to get then they got, and then married, got married right married there the on the spot, day. yeah, exactly. at Burger King. They just <laughs> went, yeah. The king himself Those married. memories, them. man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I love that. Well, uh, Tyrella, what is kind of your genre, if not 90s? You like music? You like movies from the 90s? I do. Um, I, I like all of it, just like the whole everything. Tori often reminds me of what my favorite stuff is. We kind of joke that I've apparently blocked my entire childhood out, but she'll oh, be same. like, oh, me too. This? And I'm like, did we? I yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Like Pretty Woman. That was one of our oh, yeah. favorite movies growing up. Like, I remember mm, being like really little and yeah. going to the video six. store. Yeah. Uh-huh. And our parents were like, pick out a movie. And we picked out Pretty Woman every every week for like a every year. Time. Yeah. And, you know, as an adult, I'm like, why did you want me to watch no. that? No. <laughs> she, like, themes. <laughs> she pulls the condoms out and we're like, Oh, hard candies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. like, that's so smart. You keep your candy in your boot. Yeah. Like, oh, you have a lollipop for to give your new friends you meet. That's <laughs> exactly. very, very smart. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, those are the days, man. Your parents are like, yeah, 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 whatever. It's yeah. fine. Oh, yeah. Fiction. And Blockbuster. Yeah, Blockbuster. I, I remember renting Pretty Woman mm-hmm. weekly with my best friend in, in middle school. Or I guess probably elementary school. So, yeah. Yeah. Again, you're like eight, nine. You know, right when but- you're really starting to get curious about stuff and <laughs> how it all works. Yeah. We, we have very positive views of sex workers and like sex work is real mm-hmm. work. And like, is it because when we were very young, we were like, she's a sex worker. She deserves respect. Yeah. She doesn't deserve to get hit by Jason Alexander. Hey, pretty That's woman true. was like the igniter for that. Mm-hmm. Like, so, yeah. yeah it, it, changed, it changed the world. It was very progressive for its time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Jason Alexander, I always forget he was he's the bad guy. In that. And it's so weird because Ducky. he's George. Uh, Ducky. Yeah, yeah. 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 He's awful in that. Oh yeah. He was yeah. terrible. Yeah, Costanza. <laughs> we love Seinfeld, which is a very oh, yeah. 90s reference too. So yes, that's we're huge man. Seinfeld fans. Uh, but then Heather's a, yeah, <laughs> Heather's a vault of knowledge with uh, quotes, movies, everything comedy as stuff. well. Yeah, she has a mind like a bear trap. She can just remember all that like stuff. Like a trap bear. Yeah, and I, I'm like a trap bear. Yeah, I don't remember a lot of stuff either. So it seems like we have a similar dynamic like uh-huh. how we work. Yeah. Sisterly, yeah. yeah, we're not sisters, but we do have sisterly vibes. Yes. I do oh, very much. have the like, do. Christy's my older sister. I'll like think she's so cool and do whatever she wants. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yes, I mean, honestly, yeah. I got Heather into the, doing the podcast. So it's kind of the same it's thing. exactly here. the same. I will uh-huh. tell you this though. If she offers to pay you a dime to do her like laundry or clean up the room <laughs> or something don't accept it because they'll never pay thank oh, you i know that from thank you. you saved me from that you gave away my secrets i was gonna <laughs> no, offer I'm you sorry, a dime later to yeah, do my I'll laundry take, i'll take a dime anytime <laughs> you are a dime oh hey we all are well <laughs> 
That's amazing. Well, um, we hear that you have a Freaky Friday to s- story to share with us, Tyrella. So whenever you're ready, uh, just jump right in. All right. And um, just to let you guys know, everybody listening, um, this is going to talk about domestic violence. So we just want to make sure that you know that ahead of time. Um, but basically, I somehow <laughs> did not realize that I was in an abusive relationship until somebody from like our local domestic violence center came to the school to like talk to all the kids about it. She brought brochures, she did a talk. And I had been dating the my boyfriend at that time for gosh, seven, eight, nine months, something like that. And she's going through everything. And I'm just like, oh no, like it, it did not occur to me. I didn't know. Um, so I met my high school boyfriend at school. He knew everybody. He'd gone to, um, a local elementary school. So like, and he played, uh, the drums in our church like youth band was it very felt, very involved in the church yeah very it felt involved. super safe everybody knew him like you know it wasn't anything where it's like oh you don't know anything about him like everybody knew him so we started dating it seemed to be going really well i was i mean just smitten it was just like everything i could have ever wanted basically i thought um and so the first couple months it went okay and then um it just kind of like we were young. We didn't have a lot of money. We didn't go on a lot of dates or anything like that. We just hang out after school, stuff like that. Um, so it all felt, you know, normal, fine, whatever. And I would go to his house sometimes to hang out and he still had pictures hanging up in his room of his ex-girlfriend. And I'm like, that feels not good to me. And he's like, well, we're friends. Like, get over it. You're making a big deal out of nothing. Like that whole your imagining things narrative started coming in. Um, and then eventually, like I started having to hide bruises on my arms or my legs, and it would be summertime. So I had to like lie to my parents about why I was wearing long sleeve shirts and long pants in the summer. And like it, I knew that, like, I knew that that wasn't right. Like, I shouldn't be lying to my parents. But for whatever reason, I still, I didn't really have anything else to compare it to. So to me, I was like, well, this is being in a relationship, I guess. Like, I don't know. It got to the point where if I did anything first, if I held his hand before he tried to hold my hand, if I tried to give him a kiss without him going to give me a kiss first, if I tried to tickle him, if we were hanging out, like anything, even to the point where sometimes if I spoke before he was ready for me to speak to him, there would be a consequence. It would either be the, you know, you're so stupid. How How is anybody, like, you're so lucky that you have me. Why would anybody else want to be with somebody so stupid? And, um, and then, of course, there were the physical repercussions too, depending. He, once I thought he broke my hand at school, he did mm. this in front of other people. So he, he got to the point where it, he couldn't contain it, you know, to just us anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we, some, somebody had mentioned, like I have breast implants now and I wanted them since I was in high school. I was always very self-conscious of that. And somebody had mentioned them in school and I was like, oh yeah, when I turn 18, I want to get those. And he got so mad at me that he grabbed my hand and he's like squeezing it. And like these two bones like touched each other. Like it, it I felt something pop and <sighs> he, he was like, well, I'll stop when you promise you won't do that. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. I won't do that. Like whatever. And you know, other people saw it and it was just getting to the point where like, it was too much to contain. Um, And then he started stalking me. And that's 
when we were still together. So at that time, I didn't know you could be stalked by somebody that you were in a relationship with because mm-hmm. that the thought process behind stalking was, you know, it's a creeper in the corner that, you know, you don't know and like all that kind of stuff. But he would sit outside my work when I was working. He would like pull up in front of the window when I clocked in and he wouldn't leave until I clocked out. And if I talked to any of my male coworkers, I would be accused of cheating and he would freak out about it. And um, I was just like, well, I I thought it was sweet that he was watching me work. Mm. Like I didn't realize that that's really messed up. Like I was just like, oh, he just misses me and he wants to see me. And like, I thought it was nice. It was the way he spun it too. Uh Uh-huh. Oh yeah. He definitely made it seem like it was for me. And then um, then he started complaining that he didn't have enough gas money to come sit and watch me work. So then I started giving him all the money I made at my job um, and so that he could buy gas and buy whatever he wanted. And then at one point, I find out that he's taking another girl on dates. And I was like, that's my, mo- that's my money. You're mm-hmm. taking somebody else on dates. You don't take me on dates. And so I had the audacity to say something to him about it. And um, this was at school and it was after school. So it was pretty, the hallways had kind of cleared out, but he grabbed me by my throat and picked me up and pushed me like up against the lockers. And he, I apologized. I was like, I'm so sorry. You're right. You should be able to hang out with whoever you want to. You should be able to do whatever you want to. Like, I shouldn't have said anything. That's totally, you know, my fault. Like, I'm ridiculous. I'm so sorry about that. Um, There were... You know, other friends of ours saw that. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. And he said something to him, Mm -hmm. which was nice, but I mean, it didn't, you know, it didn't change anything for him. But yeah, so there were people that would see things. Well, but I'm just like, it goes to show that he could not contain it at that point, obviously. Exactly. Yeah. It gets to a point where like it does escalate for sure. Um, and he would, um, force me to do things that I did not want to do. Like he ripped one of my belts in half. He ripped some of my underwear in half, my pants, like all of that, just trying to do things that I wasn't comfortable doing. Um, and again, I didn't realize that that was a type of assault at the time. I just thought, you know, you're supposed to do whatever they want. So it's, so I had, it was like my obligation. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, the woman who came to talk to us at school brought these trifold brochures and I'm looking through them and you can check off the, anything that applies to your relationship. And if you check off a certain amount, you can consider your relationship abusive. And so I'm like checking them off and it's like a trifold front and back brochure. And I checked off every single thing except for three items. And I was Mm. like, yikes. Like I did not. And it's just, especially being, you know, I was 17, I think, like, I didn't have anything else to compare it to. And I thank God every day that this woman came and talked to us. Mm -hmm. Because had she not, I wouldn't have known that I was in something that wasn't right. Because I just thought that's how it was supposed to be. So I broke up with him. Of course, he lost it. He told me, you know, you're never gonna find anybody else that's gonna love you. You're so stupid. You're so blah, 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 whatever. He threatened to kill himself a couple times, like stuff like that. And then he like really ramped up 
the stalking. He would follow me around videotaping me. And this is 2003, 2004. So this is a physical video camera that he had to carry with him. He carried it with him at school. He carried it with him everywhere. And people knew that he was videotaping me, but they, for whatever reason, didn't think like he told everybody he was making a video. It was going to be a like, get back together with me video where he would like tape me doing stuff he would tape some stuff of him. He was going to have somebody put it together and make this video. He started contacting my family members to get like baby photos of me. It was very weird. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, he, you know, would call incessantly, um, when I was not willing to get back together with him still, he started, well, he got a job where I worked. So he went, Oh, Yeah. And that was like, and I didn't say anything to my boss because I felt like I was making a big deal out of nothing and Mm -hmm. I didn't want to start any trouble and like whatever. And I was like, I'll deal with it. And then he got into a fist fight with a guy who said something about me, like that he liked me or something that worked there. And so he got fired over it. And then I told them and they were like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like I didn't know I wouldn't have hired him. He started after that buying like relationship, like help books and cutting out passages from them, gluing them together, like like movie ransom note looking things. Yeah. It was creepy. And he would put them on my windshield and like either stay there until I got out of work or he would just leave it there and, and not be there. Oh, but they started fuck. having people like walk me out to my car at night yeah. because they were like, that's just like, that's not okay. Um, and then he started really threatening. Like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. So my mom took out an order of protection against him. And so we had to go to court over this, which was terrifying to me. Mm -hmm. And if they had given me the option, I would have not done it. You know, I would have just let it alone. And like, I I wouldn't have done it because I was just really scared. And they ended up arresting him at school one day. He violated it, or maybe it was the first I'm not sure, but I remember they they went to school, they pull him out of class, and he was reading his Bible when they got there. Mm-hmm. He was a very, you know, like Tori said, active in the church and all that. Oh. And um the facade was very important to him. A hundred percent. And um so they arrested him. He got out. I mean, he was back at school, I think, the next day. But a couple days after that, like tons of kids at school showed up to to school with homemade shirts that they made that said his name is my hero. Oh and my it was god! Like, they were all taking Why? his side. Oh yeah, because and it was that you know it was that people knew him. Mm-hmm. He was really involved in church. Every if you had asked anybody, they would have said he's such a good Christian. You know, he's such a Christian yeah. guy. That's all he talks about. He's so involved in church. And and was he really into? Was he really into God, or was it all of? A front. No, yeah, it's a front. It's a front. Okay. Yeah. Just wow. um and he like people I think a lot of it too. I'm so sorry. But a lot of it too was he was so charismatic and so mm. popular. Yeah. Like he was so popular. So everybody mm-hmm. So when they would see this popular kid squeeze your hand so hard that it would break, would people just laugh it off? Did they accepted it wasn't a problem yeah Yeah, it's almost like they just sort of pretended like it didn't happen you know it was just like like, we didn't see that that. yeah yeah Yeah. and and it was so you know once people started doing that it felt like people were choosing sides our youth pastor showed up 
to court with him on his <gasps> side. He never asked me any questions at all. And I felt really ashamed and I felt super alone. And I was just like, I just wanted it to be over. I didn't want to have to go through with it anymore. I I felt like I was going to, you know, lose friends over it and like that kind of stuff. So when we get to like our court date, they told me that I had two options. I could either, there were like two routes I could go. And again, I was 17 and I kind of like tried to just get out of it as quickly as I could. But they said I could either go the route where, okay, this happens now, but it gets expunged from his record when he turns 18. Oh. Um, and then it's over, right? I don't have to go to court anymore over it or whatever. Or I could go the other route where it does not get expunged, but I would probably continually have to come back for court dates and stuff like that. And I'm 17 years old. So I'm like, do the one where it goes away. Like, I don't want to have to keep coming here. I was scared to be around him. I felt embarrassed. I knew that like half the people that we knew didn't believe me. And I was just like, whatever it just make it go away. Like, I don't, I don't want to do that. And like now I wish I hadn't chosen that. Um, And it's so frustrating that the justice system puts that on the victim because like in my case, I was just petrified. I didn't Mm want to go to court. You know, I was scared. So so we did that. Never had to make that choice for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's frustrating. And I want to add, I remember there was a time the order of protection was in place. Mm -hmm. You called to say, he's here and he he knows he's not supposed to be here and they were like the authorities were like well you should probably leave Mm -hmm. Uh, what's the order of protection for yeah yeah he showed up like to my high school graduation um and he was a grade younger than her so he had no business being yeah he wasn't Mm -hmm. supposed to be there and he was the row of people he was sitting behind went and reported him to security because he was threatening to wait for me outside with, oh, a, with boulder a boulder and bash my head in. And so they did make him leave that time, but he never got in trouble for any of it. It was just God, like, okay, no, yeah. go home. Yeah. So one Tech time when he showed him. up, yeah, when he showed up to where I was and I called the authorities again, I'm like, he's, you know, he's here again. And they were like, well, by the time we get there, he'll be gone. I mean, what do you want us to do? You know, like whatever. And so I was like, well, what is, why do I have this? Mm -hmm. Like what? I thought it was supposed to protect me. And this woman on the phone literally said to me, well, the good thing about it is, is if he does do something to you, if he follows through on a threat, he'll get more trouble because you've got this order of protection in place. And I was like, Oh wow, that won't do me any good. Uh, yeah, yeah, that I'll doesn't dead, so feel really helpful care. to me. Yeah. Like, so I had to, you know, kind of watch where I went. I stopped going to church because he obviously took over that. Mm-hmm. Um, that was his place and whatever. And when he would show up where I was, like, because obviously he wasn't supposed to be there, and he would he was obviously still following me or like, how did he know where I was all the time? Mm -hmm. They didn't seem to care about that either, but he would have this like look in his eye and it was like, like he would see me from across wherever. And I'm like, Oh shit. And he would have this look in his eye. And it, um, I don't know if you guys have seen the Ryan Reynolds version of the Amityville horror movie, Uh but when Mm -hmm. he gets like possessed, when he's in that, like where he's not there and something else is taking over him, Ryan Reynolds fucking killed that. Like, 
I was like, that's the look he had in his mm-hmm. eye. Like it was like that. Like he wasn't there. It was just rage. And so he I had would, like black eyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would just get out of there because I'm like, I don't I don't want to know what's going to yeah. happen if he gets close to me. Um, and eventually, like, I don't remember exactly when he finally left me alone. I'm assuming because he got another girlfriend and probably, you know, yeah. whatever. But it it finally did. It was a little over a year or so after that that I finally didn't feel like I had to watch you know, watch my back or anything. Um, But I did have other girls who had dated him before. And this was high school. So like even like his seventh grade girlfriend called me and was like, thank you for doing what you did. Like, thank you for standing up. He was like this with me. And so we would talk about it. And like, it was a clear escalation where Mm -hmm. he kind of started with some of these things and then it ramped up. And I was really worried for what would happen to other women after me. Um, as far as I know, he's never been charged with another violent crime. I kind of, I looked it up today just to see. Mm-hmm. Um, he did reach out to you, Tori, on social media a couple yeah. years ago now. Yes, mm. he friend requested me no. maybe three, two years ago, three years ago. Uh-uh. And, and I was, I was like, like, in what world? No, right. yeah. not. this is a joke. No, yeah. No, we're not friends, dude. Like, no. Never ever will happen. No. Mm -mm. And it kind of freaked me out then too, because I had talked a little bit about this story because we covered, I don't know if you're familiar with the Alice Ruggles case, um, but she had, I don't think we've done that. Okay. She's, um, this was a British case, but she had a boyfriend who had stalked her and um, a lot of the same kind of stuff. They put a lot of the decision-making on her. Well, what do you mm-hmm. want to do? And she's like, well, I don't know. And um, and he killed her. And mm-hmm. um, so I brought up a little bit of my story in that episode. And it, it was like within months of that, he friend requested her. And oh. I was like, hmm. mm, I hope he doesn't. I don't think he knows about the show, but I don't know. You never know. Um, mm-hmm. But that, I don't know, that just really taught me that like you can be you know, and I mean, especially going back to 90s, early 2000s, I mean, look at Lorena Bobbitt and everything she yeah, went through. Yeah. Nobody believed you could be assaulted in a marriage. Nobody believed you could be raped in a marriage. Mm-hmm. Nobody believed you could be stalked in a relationship. It's like, he's your boyfriend. How He can go wherever you go, right? Like, yeah. there's not there's not anything wrong with that. So, you know, those are things that I learned through this. And I really want young people to know that mm-hmm. like that's not what a relationship is supposed to be like For sure. and and there are you know things that you can do and of course um you can always visit the hotline.org or call 1-800-799-SAFE if you need resources for abusive relationships. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. I had so many questions throughout, but I didn't want to (laughs) interrupt you. So I was trying to like stack them to remember them. And now I'll see. Um, One. Yeah. The clear escalation of, Mm -hmm. especially if he's what, what are you in seventh grade? 12? Yeah. 12, 13, 13 years old. If your predilection for violence is already starting that young, I hate to think of the relationship he's in right now because he was clearly escalating at that time. Like you said, and you bring up such good points that the court system does put so much onus on the victim to make these critical decisions when you're not in the headspace to do that. And you might not like you're 17, you're not old enough to know Mm -hmm. like the like actual damage that could be done here and everything a judge that has seen this a time or two should be the one to be like, okay, this guy, yeah, yeah, this is a little more than just like 
Yeah, well, he messed up a little bit, but like he's has a pattern here. It's clearly very violent. Yeah. And escalating. And did they didn't ever assign you like a victim's advocate or somebody that could answer questions and Mm -hmm. help you advocate for yourself? Mm -mm. Yeah. uh, I literally like only met one person and it was at the court date and they pulled me into the hallway and said, here's your two options. Which one do you want to do? Oh, my gosh. Um, What year was this? 2004. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I guess it is it better now? Um, I think we're seeing more uh, nonprofit organizations say we want to be an extra arm of the government. You know, if the, the DA's office can't provide victims advocate services. But in I know at least in Texas and your results may vary depending on what state you're in. But you, we have like the Victims Bill of Rights and we have certain laws that have been passed where what you were discussing, you know, I have this restraining order he or you know order of protection he's walking right through it what can i do you know i can't i shouldn't have to leave my apartment but if i do i don't get penalized for breaking my lease early so we've seen uh, an expansion of legislation that protects oh, victims of yeah and survivors of domestic violence and, and abuse like that but it was not uh, that long ago, you know, 2004, even up until like the 2010s, that there was this shifting. It, it's now shifted, I think, with the rise of social media and with, I think, more people being willing. And thank you for to, for sharing your story and like everybody on Freaky Friday sharing their stories that we are horrified. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, wait, does that happen where I live? Right. And then or does that still happen? Does that still happen? Like you yeah. said, all these kids that you were in school with. They saw it happening, yeah. but he's popular and they don't want to say anything. Mm-hmm. And I think the more that it's now talked about, and you said you didn't even know, like that wasn't mm-hmm. what a relationship was because you're young and you don't have anything to compare it to. So it takes like, shows you McGruff going right. to the school, talking to the youth. <laughs> Sometimes, the pamphlets. Because <laughs> especially, you know, I mean, you don't always hear that information at home. Yeah. So you're kind of a reliant on Mm -hmm. a a third party to be like, Hey, just FYI. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, but the more that we talk about it, the more like from a very early age, it's clear that like, this isn't how things go. This is unhealthy. So girls can see and, and everyone can see the warning signs a lot earlier. Almost definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to chime in here because I haven't gotten to talk very much and I need to. (laughs) (laughs) But um, this is a moment that I won't do again, Torella. So relish this. But (sighs) I am so proud of you. And I am in awe of the fact that you were as strong as you were in that moment, but also sharing the story that you because you don't have to, you know, and not that you don't think that you should because I think that it's I think that we both think that it's important to share it but it's hard and mm-hmm. I am just so proud of you and I'm in awe of your strength and courage that you went through it and that you're I sharing it cry. no oh, don't cry because I'm gonna cry too and I don't <laughs> I'm like gonna to cry, cry. Gonna too, cry. <laughs> too late, Damn it. Too late. Crying. but it's, <laughs> I just I can't I like I'm standing in awe of your yeah. strength and courage mm-hmm. thank you and as an amazing big sister, you've set a wonderful example yeah. for your little sister too. Yes. Did you, Tori, when you when that was all happening, do you have rec- recall that going on? You know, did you was it hidden from you, or were you aware of what was going on, and did it impact you? You know, going forward in relationships, it was hidden from me completely. Torella never oh. ever talked about it. She didn't What's share the age difference between the two of you. Eighteen months. Oh wow. Oh, so you were at the same high school and everything mm-hmm. while uh-huh. it was going on. Well, okay. we hung out. The three of us hung out a lot. Wow. 
I didn't did you see it? No. You didn't see him being abusive? Not at all. Mm-hmm. Not wow. at all. I think hindsight is a little bit more 2020. I didn't see everything after the fact, but I saw more after mm-hmm. the fact. But I was, I mean, I think that you and I both have been kind of like late bloomers in the sense that like we didn't, I didn't have a relationship then, so I didn't have anything to compare it to either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought he was just an amazing, like I, I we had a great time together, you know, yeah. like I thought he was really mm-hmm. funny and fun and all this kind of stuff. It absolutely shaped my relationships moving forward after I heard everything because I, I mean, <laughs> I don't take shit from nobody. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I, and I think uh, your big sis has a lot to do with that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Y'all are so sweet. And I, I and I was watching you while she was telling your story and like, <laughs> you still get like really angry and just like, you can't believe. Because to hear that like somebody you love went through that and especially being like, I had no idea yeah. at the time. Because abusers are real sneaky and smart and they're very charismatic and they gaslight you and everyone around you. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's what, you know, being like, I love you. That's why I'm coming up to your work to watch you while you work your eight hour shift. And now I can't even do that because I don't have the money. I love you so much. I spent all my money. Yeah. yeah. And then you're like, oh, the money that you just took some girl to Applebee's with that money. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a... There's a lot of times that you're like, man, I can't believe I didn't see that coming. But that's because yeah. they're real good at being sneaky. Exactly. They're know. really good at it. And I felt really mm-hmm. stupid for the longest time. Like, I can't believe, you know, I would let somebody treat me that way. And But it really is like a whether I don't know he meant to or not it was a skill that he honed over many years apparently and he was really good at it and you know I mean just the same everybody around us like the there were a few times he slipped and did stuff in public but for the most part it was just when it was the two of us Mm -hmm. and you know and it I mean and I also learned that you know when some people did see it nobody said anything I said Mm -hmm. and then when the shirts came out and everything after, That's I'm like, well, nobody's going to believe me anything. So why That's would I so hurtful. Oh, say anything? Yeah. yeah. It was I not cool. <laughs> will say no. it's easier said than done, but uh, it's easier to, to say it than to believe it for yourself sometimes. But I will say to anyone who has gone through it or is going through it, it's not your fault. They narcissistic abusers, they see something good in you and they prey on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not because you're weak. It's yeah, because they right. see something that they need to stifle out in you. And it's not yeah. your fault. Mm-hmm. Kindness, generosity, willingness to help, any of that. They see that as a, a point that they can get in mm-hmm. and take advantage. And it is. And you're exactly right. It's not we shouldn't not be nice people because, right. oh, then an abuser might come along. We all as a society shouldn't fucking wear T-shirts with his name because on it. Because that's also and saying like, stand up. You, ha- you should leave. He's yeah. coming. You should leave. You should leave. If it's like, well... As a society, we'll all just, no, we should be the ones that, like, are making the rules. Yeah, and say, no, we're not going to stand for that. Mm -hmm. And you're, yeah. And I think sharing stories is, we always say there's so much power in storytelling. Because there are definitely people who have been through what you've been through, sadly. 
But I think showing how you came out on the other side, the support of your sister, now being willing to not just tell your own story, but tell other people's stories with kindness, empathy, and compassion. I think that shows that we can take something really horrible Mm -hmm. and make take action on it and make it into something beneficial Mm -hmm. absolutely for others. Yeah. Yeah, having at seventeen to make a decision like, like that, that, no, who I, who would make the other decision? You know, right, but, right, yeah. No, I'd like to keep going to court. <laughs> so yeah, yeah let's yeah. do that. Yeah, 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 and keep seeing him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How were your parents steering it? When? How did you finally tell them what was going on? Um, I well, I think they. It became obvious once I broke up with him. I tried not to tell anybody anything at all. And then once I broke up with him, he started coming out to our house and like yeah. parking across the street and watching and it started getting weird. And so I finally like told my parents, okay, well, this is what's going on. Like he's videotaping me at school and you know, whatever. And I felt like, you know, a part of me knew that it wasn't right, but I also didn't want, I just, I got, I don't know. I wanted everybody to think everything was fine. You know, it's like, it's fine. It's fine. And I also was so worried I was making a a huge deal out of nothing because another, like most people think something like any, any of the things that we cover could never happen to us. Right. So it's like that happens to somebody else. That's something that would happen in a movie. Why am I so important that something like that should happen to me? Mm -hmm. So I thought I'm probably just making a big deal out of nothing. Like it'll go away. It'll blow over. And once he started like following me to the point that he was showing up at our house my dad was like because he knew uh, i'd broken uh, up with him and mm-hmm. he's like he's across the street right now did mm, you are you guys supposed yeah. to hang out i'm like no so i told him and um and miss kb doesn't put up with that shit yeah <laughs> we call our dad miss kb so um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> so he was not having it and then mom got the ball rolling on the on the order of protection because i Never would have done that either. Mm-hmm. But well, and you you fought her a little bit on it, which was yeah. I'm so glad that she was so force forceful is not the right word, but you know what I mean. Like she, yeah. yes, yeah, she with, stuck it. with it, yeah. yeah, yeah. I got real upset with her. I mean, again, because I was mm-hmm. so afraid that everybody would think badly of me and that, you know, nobody would believe me. And I was like, I told her you're making a big deal out of nothing. It's yeah, fine. And yeah. you know, all this stuff. And well, you're already embarrassed and you're like, this is just going to draw more attention to yes. it. Yeah. I don't want to like even be thinking about it, mm-hmm. which yeah, at that age is, I mean, 17 like, is hard enough as it is. Mm-hmm. And then you add all that on top. It's Yeah, it's unmanageable. Yeah, and I think you're right. Like, we're taught to minimize our problems Mm -hmm. and be like, oh, well, it's not, I'm not like an after school special. It's not that bad. But I think the validation of having that pamphlet and having an expert Mm -hmm. go, like, here's, Here's the objective facts. It if can this happen is happening, to anybody. it can happen to anybody. Yeah. And also, right. you know, like, oh, I'm not special. Like, I, no one's going to stalk me. And it's like, we are each and each of us is special and stalkers mm-hmm. are stalkers. And so, yeah, I think that that's, yeah, it's uh, important to validate. And uh, the earlier we can now validate the younger generation underneath us of no, you're mm-hmm. not making stuff up. You're not making a mountain out of a molehill. You deserve respect, dignity, right. freedom, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And listen to us because we went through it. You know, I think the, millennial generation and in some ways we but until this kind of moved toward they're calling it fourth wave feminism you know the post me too movement which was 2012 is kind of like when they mark the line for fourth wave feminism and saying like no we are not only are we do we want equality but we also don't want to be abused taken advantage of etc too and and we're all going to band together and make sure that doesn't happen so absolutely yes well yeah what a great note to end it on. Thank you all both so much for uh, talking with us. You're sharing your story. I know we're going to get a lot of listeners that um, 
are really going to be thankful that you shared this. So thank you, thank you, thank you. so much. And um, where can everybody find you? Your socials, websites, anything you got coming up? Yeah, so we are um, anywhere you listen to podcasts. So we're Killer Queens. Um, our artwork is bright pink. So you'll... Yeah, you got a little cool rad <laughs> branding is perfect. artwork. Uh-huh. You like pink over here. Um, and then Instagram, we're KQ True Crime. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're everywhere. We've got Facebook yeah. groups. We're on TikTok, YouTube, all the things now. We'll tag you, link you, all, all that things. good stuff. Yay. Thank awesome. you. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you all so much. And thank we'll you. talk soon. Thanks. Yes. Thanks. Thank you. Well, thank you so much to Killer Queens for joining us and to everyone that sent in a Freaky Friday story. If you have an odd but true story, maybe you've encountered Bigfoot, you've seen a UFO, you've had a brush with true crime, or you felt the presence of an otherworldly being, send them in at sinisterhood.com slash Freaky Friday. We love providing Sinisterhood to you at no cost. So if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We're a small operation, creating the show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the rolling the airwaves and getting into a tier, a special shout-out on the show, a monthly bonus mini-sode, and patron-exclusive video and audio content including Am I the Asshole, Relationship Advice, Judge Christie, Dear Sinister, True Crime Headlines, and more. And patrons in the getting into it tier are also able to vote on a bonus content segment they would like to see us live stream. We're doing one in April, and it will be on April 30th at 8 p.m. Central with the votes to come. You also have the fun perk of access to our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We hop on occasionally and we host monthly Q&As on Crowdcast, where you can ask us all your burning questions for this month. It is April 26 at 8 p.m. Central Time. For our patrons not in the U.S., you have the option to pay in pounds or euros, saving you the cost of the conversion fee. Annual memberships for all tiers are also now available. Those that select this option will be rewarded with a free month of membership. For more details on all of this and specific member tiers, visit Sinisterhood.com and click Patreon on the top banner. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. And if you want to get some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on shop on the top banner. You can support the show fast, easy, and at no cost to you by rating, reviewing, and following on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Speaking of reviews, you can easily leave one by going to Sinisterhood.com slash reviews. Yours may even be featured on our social media. Have a friend who you think would like us? You can share any episode with them by clicking the three dots in the top right corner. You can also share topic-based playlists from Spotify by visiting Sinisterhood.com slash playlist. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod. Like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. You can also check out awesome video content on our YouTube page as well as listen to all episodes of the show and all episodes of Freaky Friday. If you like listening on YouTube, you can do that now at Sinisterhood Podcast. You can also watch the full video version of our interview with Torella and Tori as well as our other Freaky Friday guest segment interviews. We film those. We put those up on our YouTube. And you can also check us out on TikTok at Sinisterhood Podcast. We also have 
Cameo, if you want us to send a customized video message to somebody in your life, you can book us. We can say happy birthday, happy anniversary, give a little pep talk, or even we can give a pep talk to yourself, to you, from you. We've done them and we love to do them. So go to cameo.com slash sinisterhood and book your video shout out today. And if you book it between now the 21st and the 23rd, you may get it from uh, our travels in Utah. Who knows? Yeah. We're staying at a very nice Airbnb in Utah that has some gorgeous views. So we'll just go out, film in front of a mountain, send it to you. We'll share We'll share our view with you. Uh, speaking of sharing views, where are you sharing your views online these days, Christy Wallace? I am on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and Twitter and TikTok at Christy or GTFO. Heather? Oh, I'm on Twitter at MCK versus the world and on TikTok and Instagram at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Sinister. Hood.